That's a lot of pressure to come out so silently, so let's make sure that that never happens again. Hey, welcome. Thanks for coming to Journey. We're grateful that you're here. We are a church, if, if you haven't found out yet, that is on fire for Jesus Christ. We are a church that's, that God is doing great things, and when I think about the history of the church, as I was leaving my house today, I was blown away. First of all, I live in a house. That was good. And, and I was blown away about what God is doing. This church has been called into this community to bring love. And if you're here for the first time, I hope you've experienced some of that love. If you've gotten a couple of crazy hugs from people that you don't know, that's good. Because that's the design God has given us. This world is desperate for love. Can you tell? No world would act like this if it had love. And our design is to bring God's love because that's what he's told us to do. So if you're new, a special welcome. We love having you and for you to be a part of what God is doing in this community. One of the things that is new here, if you've walked in today, we didn't have this five or six weeks ago, but in the courtyard, we've created this thing called the pinnacle. Now, the reason why it's called the pinnacle is church really doesn't happen or Christianity really doesn't happen from one guy on the pulpit or on the stage communicating. No, Christianity happens when you walk out the door and you start living it out. And that pinnacle is a place for you and I and other people to get to know God, ask questions, have fellowship and friendship, and watch God expand your relationship with him. And so we, we challenge you to stick around. You don't have to stay for hours. We don't want you to stay for hours because we got to go too. But we want you to grab a hold of it and watch relationships expand in your life because that's really how God works through other people. Today we're going to go through a series called Riding Out, or continue on the series called Riding Out the Storm. And uh, you look at this big wave, and if you've ever been in the storm, if you've ever been in the ocean, I'm not a really good surfer, uh, but I, I have been, and I go, I haven't been in years actually, so I can't lie to you on that. Um, but sometimes the waves just keep coming. And you can't get out, you can't get back in, the waves just keep coming. And they're, they're, the idea of this series going through the eye of Job is to ride out the storm. The series that we did, we just finished a couple weeks ago, was being fearless. And now we are trying to learn, because we have a fearless walk in Jesus Christ, to ride out the storms. And many of us in this room have had storms or are going through storms, and we need to learn to ride them and ride them out and into God's glory. Now, before I get started today, I've been praying all week. I was gone for a couple of days with my wife, and I had this day where I was just kind of sitting in this peaceful place, watching the water in San Diego, and I was praying, God, I want to do something that will really be an offering to you. And today, I want to challenge you. Uh, you'll see it by the end of the message, but I want to challenge you today, and the challenge is from God. Will you make a response to him? By the end of the message, will you make some sort of response, a statement, a confession, a movement from your heart, mind, and soul, made me a movement out of your seat, but will you make that commitment and that response to him? Because I believe at the end of the day's message, there will be something stirring up in five, ten, hopefully 50 or 100 people, if not all of us. Because I believe God wants to challenge us on something today. Today's message is called, is, uh, God is in control. The question is, is God in control? In this world, in this country, in our lives, is God in control? And maybe that's not even the right question. Maybe the question is something different when you look at theology or you look at Christianity. Maybe the question should be this. Can I accept God's 
sovereignty or God's control, his ultimate absolute control? Maybe that's the right question to ask. The world is crumbling as we know it. It's, it's part of God's plan, it sounds like. The Bible tells us that before he comes back, the world is going to be like it was in Noah's day. The world is crumbling right before our eyes. And many in this room and in our city and in our county and in our state are questioning, where are you, God? Where are you and what are you doing? Now, we are coming to the end of an election season. Praise Jesus that we're coming to the end of election season. And uh, I'm going to digress for a second and talk about the election. I'm, uh, uh, we don't really talk about that much here because that's not really our position. Our position is to do this. But here's what I want to talk about the election for you. And I want you to be respectful. We're a loving family. It's okay to have different opin opinions and views. It's okay to have a different opinion or view with me as well. But at the end of the election, we need to come back together and move forward whatever happens. Here's what's going to happen. Some people are going to choose one side. Some people are going to choose the other side. And at, uh, after Tuesday, it is what it is. Some people are going to vote against one person because they don't like the other person. That's what's going to happen. Here's the problem. Some people aren't gonna, are not going to vote. And that's a bad idea. That's how we got into this mess in the first place. Let me give you some statistics. 37 million Christians did not vote in the last election. And, and it's been very consistent for the last 8 or 10 years that Christians aren't voting. It doesn't matter who's in or not. Christians aren't voting. Whatever you believe, believe it, pray to God, and do whatever you're supposed to do. But if Christians don't vote, our values and morals aren't going to be out there, and you can see the world kind of slipping away. So I don't know if you know this, but it takes 50, about 50, 51 million votes to be the president. If 37 million people voted, we might have something completely different going on. We need to make sure that we're voting. I don't care what you believe. The truth is, I don't care. What I care is, on Wednesday morning, I'm going to still be a follower of Jesus. And beyond that, if you call yourself a Christian, so are you. And we need to go back to normality, even if your team wins or loses. Because the Bible tells us that we are to respect authority. We're to respect it and be the loving people that we are. And ultimately, if you win, we're still going to be the hands and feet. And if your guy loses or your girl loses, you're still going to be the hands and feet. So let's make sure that we do that. Okay, I'm done. Today we're going to continue on this series uh, about Job's life. Now, the last couple of weeks we've kind of stayed in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to jump around. Today we're going to jump 15 chapters to uh, chapter 19. But I want to talk a little bit about Job. Here's some facts about Job. Job was written or in the time of the patriarchal fathers or the age of the patriarchs. That's what Job was. And that would be Adam to uh, Mount Sinai. And that spans about 2,500 years. So that's when the book was kind of, that's when Job was walking on this earth. How do we know that? It's not just some random fact that someone pulled out. It's the way, if you look at Job chapter 1 on how they measured wealth. They measured wealth with camels and donkeys and sheep and all of that, right? That's how they measure wealth. 
And we see that throughout the patriarchal age, that that's how they did things in those days. The other thing, where would Job be if we looked at the timeline in the Chronicles of Genesis? Where would we be? Where would it be? Some would say it'd be in the early chapters of Genesis. Maybe, maybe chapters 11 or 12, right before Abraham, that's where he might fit. We don't really know the time, but that's kind of where he fits in between 5 and 12, somewhere in there. That might, might be where we might see Job in the chronological history of man. Now, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've got an awesome new website. Go listen to the podcast this week. We talked about two things. We talked about chapter one and God testing Job. Chapter one, there's this communication between Satan and, and God. And Jeremy said last week uh, in a great message that there was like a wager between these two. There was a wager going on. And God said, have you seen my guy? He's pretty awesome. And Satan said, no, nah, he's not that good. Pull some of his stuff out and see how he treats you. Now, here's the thing that blows me away. Here's the thing that blows me away, and many of us are in that same point today. Job doesn't know any of this is going on. We see the Bible. We see the text. We see what's going on, that there's a conversation between Satan and God, but Job never gets it. He only receives that information when he, re, uh, when he dies and goes to heaven. He doesn't know what's going on. Many of us in this room don't realize what God is doing in our lives. And you're just a few days or weeks or months or years away from truly living out what God has for you. I know that because that's what's happened in my life. And so I want you guys to see that Job doesn't know what's happening, but he still stands true. He's still a man of integrity. He loses his, all his material possessions, all his money, all his provision, and he loses his kids. And if you've ever been in a place or know someone or have friends or have lost a kid, you know how hard it is to lose one kid. He lost them all. Very tough. Very tough. Probably the toughest thing that a person will ever have to walk through. And he loses not only his kids, but he loses the provision, the provision as well. The next chapter we see in chapter 2, Satan goes, yeah, that was cute. Job did a good job. But truthfully, if you make his health bad, he'll definitely curse you. You can take all his stuff, but truthfully, you'll make his health bad. Jeremy talked last week about him having, getting these, these things, these boils or this stuff like leprosy, and it was so bad that he was taking glass and scraping them. And, it, and he, he almost made me sick when he was talking about how it smelled, the putrid smell. I could feel my coffee coming up a little bit. But if you think about it, the guy's scraping stuff and there's pus. And if you've ever smelled dead skin or stuff like that, it's disgusting. Sorry, kind of going into it a little bit. <laughs> but Satan makes this wager again about the health. And if you've ever had health issues, you struggle and you're, you're asking, where are you, God? Are you in control of this? Because this is not good. Job still loves the Lord. His wife is so frustrated. She's like, we've lost everything. Why don't you just curse God and die? But she says, don't talk like a, a, a foolish, ungodly woman. Just have faith. God is doing something. And even though it looks bad, all is going to work out. Now, uh, at the end of Jeremy's message last week, three friends come into the picture. Now, these three friends have probably known Job to be the most successful man they've ever met. They probably looked up to him. He probably mentored some of these guys because this man had high integrity. 
And as they come to see their friend, they're expecting one thing, this great godly man that's, 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 got a, man, that's a man of integrity, that is, is something that everybody looks to. And when they see him, the Bible says they are dismayed. They're blown, they're blown away. Who is this guy? So much so that they were quiet for seven days. When's the last time anybody's been quiet for seven days? I got a couple kids that I'd like for that to happen, but uh, maybe longer. Quiet for seven days. They come in and they see him and they're like, I can't believe this. This is not the Job that I know. He's broken. He's impacted. He's lost everything. And now he smells. He looks terrible. This is not the guy and they're dismayed. By the end of the conversation, though, they go from consoling and Jeremy gave these platitudes. They go from consoling to start condemning. There's something you did. You did something wrong. And that's what we do in society. We don't know why. We don't have the answers. So all of a sudden we start accusing and start saying we're doing something wrong. Now the next 15 chapters, there's these conversations. And maybe you should just flip through it if you have one of the Bibles. My Bible has little subtitles in it to kind of what's happening. And the next few chapters, there's a conversation from one friend and then there's a response. Then there's a conversation from another friend and Job is making these responses, these, these, um, these speeches and they're arguing and he's laying out his case and his friends over and over are getting worse and worse upon him saying, you're doing something wrong. And if you want to hear that, uh, go to the website. Jeremy really laid out what the friends were about last week. It was really powerful. At one moment, Job lays out his case for God. At another moment, he's making a plea for God. At another place, he's like, Lord, where are you? Are you even around? Because he's going through so much. In between these responses, Job's, Job is just kind of laying it out there saying, I need you, Lord. I need you. Where are you? And he's putting a case before him, a plea. How have I sinned? Seems like you're against me. Well, the truth is this. When we experience pain and loss because of things outside of our control, two things happen. First and foremost, we blame God. And secondly, he becomes our enemy. Today we're going to see this. Job is at a, a, a response today in, in Job 19. So if you're able to stand, let's stand. And we're going to read from Job 19, verses 7 to 22. And then we're going to pray God will speak to us all about this and see if God is in control or not in our lives. Here's Job continuing on, and he's crying out to the Lord. He says, I cry out, help, but no one answers me. I protest, but there's no justice. God has blocked my way so I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of honor and removed the crown from my head. And he has demolished me on every side. I am finished. He has uprooted me. Uh, he has uprooted my hope like a fallen tree. His fury burns against me. He counts me as enemy. His troops advance. They build up roads to attack me. They camp all around my tent. Here it changes a little bit. He says, my relatives stay far away from me and my friends have turned against me. My family is gone and my closest friends have forgotten me. My servants and maids consider me a stranger. I'm like a foreigner to them. And then when I call my servant, he doesn't come. I have to plead with him. Listen to this. It says, my breath is repulsive to my wife. That's never good, by the way. 
I am rejected by my own family. Even young children despise me. And when I stand to speak, they turn their backs on me. My closest friends detest me, and those I love have turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. And now he looks at his friends and he says these last few words and then we're going to pray. Have mercy on me, my friends. Have mercy for the Lord, for the hand of God has struck me. You must, must you also persecute me like God does? Haven't you chewed me up enough? You see Job and where he's at in his head. So today what I want to do, there's a challenge that's going to be put before you in a few minutes. And I want to pray that God will speak to you all. Use me and he, spe he will speak to me. That's been my prayer that I will be ministered to as well. So let's pray and ask God for wisdom and clarity and a decision in our heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful county and all that you're doing. Thank you that you have brought us here and that we have the ability to vote. But Lord, speak to us today, use us, work in us, build in us a hope and a strength, and give us a response for you today, Lord. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So we see Job, and Job is communicating, and he's in a response to one of his friends, and he's questioning God. The sovereignty of God, in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about, is it okay to question God? But he's questioning sovereignty of God. Do you understand the sovereignty of God? Do you really understand the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty, if you look up sovereignty, it talks about a supreme value or a monarchy. And the truth is, we have been in our country for about 10 generations now. Ten generations, we're almost to ten generations, and our society over those generations haven't had a monarchy because we have three branches, the president, the judicial system, and the Congress, and so there's checks and balances. So we don't understand a monarchy because a monarchy is this, a king or queen or whoever's in charge says this, and it's the ultimate law, like it or not. If you reject, you get killed or you get exiled or both. But it's an ultimate law. It's an ultimate rule. Those that understand it, understand it very well. Americans, we don't understand it because we don't have it. It's built in us to have this system that's got checks and balances. That doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that we need to grab a hold of what sovereignty means in our lives, in our soul, so it makes sense. Here's what happens in man and in Christians about sovereignty. And the sovereignty of God is, there's a lot of public opinion that comes in. There's a lot of opinions. Anybody got any opinions? My mom's got her hand up first, so. Thanks, mom. It's the first time I've heard that from you. We all have opinions, and they really don't mean anything. They really don't mean anything. They're just an opinion. But what happens is there's a lot of public opinion with God's sovereignty and sovereignty as a whole. Listen to what R.C. Sproul's writes. He says, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. Most Christians, yes, I believe in the sovereignty of God. But when it comes to it, it's all about man and what man does. And that's where we have this conflict. Is God really in control of your life? Is God sovereign in your heart and in everything that you do? Is that what you're receiving from God? 
Job is in this place that he feels like God is his enemy right now. He doesn't know what's going on. The truth is, he's like, Lord, where are you? You are my enemy. What have I done? But here's the problem. Job is actually in God's favor. And this is what God is doing. Think about that for a second. That, that just should blow our mind away to go, this is the guy that God's excited about, and he's going through the worst part of any man's life besides maybe what Jesus did. That, that to me says something about the sovereignty of God. That really opens us up to understand. Here's what's sovereign to me. God is, the sovereignty of God means this, that he is the supreme value in heaven and in earth. The supreme value. There's nothing above him both in heaven and in earth. He's absolute. When he says, it's absolute. There's no gray area. When I say stuff, yeah, a lot of gray area. When God is absolute, he's infinite. We don't understand infinite either. We kind of have this idea, but listen, there's boundaries in this place. There's boundaries in my house. There's boundaries in our county, right? But we don't understand infinite, and if we don't understand infinite, we also need to understand that God is eternal, and I don't know if we understand that very well either. We have minimal um, concepts of what these two things mean. We struggle with that, and so we're going to struggle with the idea of a sovereign God. We are finite people, dependent and contingent on something and someone else. Even if you don't believe that, that's true. That's really what it is. We are finite, and we need God to work in our lives. Job is thinking God's an enemy, and God is looking down upon this man going, look at this guy. Isn't he amazing? And he gives the power over so that God can do great work in this man's life. Job is to be a lesson for mankind for us to see what God can do and how he's moving in, all the, in, in, in his life. And we are to look at that and go, can I do something similar as Job has done? Today, the last couple weeks, I've, I've, been, I've made a decision that I'm going to always try and title a message. Today is going to be called The Man and the Ant. A couple weeks ago, if you haven't heard it, uh, I, I gave you the, probably the greatest analogy ever spoken, which was... Life is a Barbasol can of shaving cream. If you haven't seen that message, really, or if you haven't heard it, go up to the website and grab a hold of it. But today is about the man and the ant, because this is an analogy you can get online, and it talks about the sovereignty of God, understanding it. So uh, this is an ant. Everybody seen an ant before? Here's the story, and this is used in theology to explain an idea or a concept of sovereignty. So let me kind of go through it. A man puts an ant in a bowl. The sovereignty of the man over the ant is in no doubt, right? The ant may want to try and crawl, crawl out of the bowl, and the man may not want this to happen. The man is not forced, if the ant leaves, the man is not forced to crush him, to drown him, to pick him up, or to save him. He's not forced to do anything because he's in control. Man, for his own reason, may choose to let the ant crawl away in this sovereign situation. But man is still in control of this situation. There's a difference between allowing the ant to escape 
and hopelessly, desperately watching the ant as it escapes with no control, no, having no ability to stop it. The world's view of sovereignty is very similar to what we see here. The world's view of sovereignty says, if a man is not actively holding the ant inside the bowl, then he must not be able to keep them there at all. Hence, he has no power over the ant. Does that make sense? But the truth is, the man has all power, and he's like, I'm just going to let the ant go away. If he wants to leave and leave his food and his shelter and the warm 75-degree temperature I have for him, that's his choice. Let him go on his own and find a new, uh, a, a new place of food and a new place of rest. But that's his choice. The man's saying, I'm going to let that go. And that is a picture of sovereignty so that we can understand it. The world says, because God doesn't stop and, and, and there's all kinds of chaos in the world, the world says, because of that, that he's not really in control. Sovereignty is a tough issue, something that we really need to grab a hold of. What happens to Job? Job gets to the end, and I want to get to verse 23. I generally wait till the end to get to this point. But verse 23 to 27 is really powerful. It's a theme for today. And Job is saying, friends, have mercy on me. Do something in my life. I'm tired. Haven't you chewed me up enough? And then he writes this. He says, oh, that my words would be recorded, that they would be counted, be inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead, engraved forever in rock. Oh, you words that I'm communicating, engrave them, make them a monument. Because I used to be a man of high ranking and, and the, the society looked at me, but everything's changed. But then he gets to this point, and today our memory verse is Job 19, 25, and here's our memory verse. I'm going to read it this way, and I'll read it in the way that we have it as in our sheet. It says, but as for me, Job comes to this conclusion. He makes a response to his friends and to God. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. And I'm overwhelmed by this thought. Twenty-five, nineteen, and another translation says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand upon this earth. That's who I have. Job now is foreshadowing the future of what Jesus is going to do. He is going to be the Redeemer He's going to be beaten and bruised, but he's also going to come back. And this is the first time that we see the, the uh, foreshadowing and early writing about Christ. Powerful point of the resurrecting Christ coming back into this earth and, and, and bringing man and woman alike under his fold and saving us from ourselves. Our Redeemer lives. And one day he will stand and that should build us up to believe in the sovereignty of God. Listen to what Margaret Clarkson writes. This is a really cool thing. Hopefully I can say it without dyslexing it. It says, God is the Lord of human history and the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. He is the Lord of all humanity, but he also has personal history with every redeemer from the beginning of time until today and to the future until he comes back. He has an intimate personal history. That is what a sovereign God is. That is who he is and what he does. That is what we see. So what does that mean? 
How do we make this work? Today, uh, the last couple weeks, I've been giving homework. Here's some homework for today. I'm going to read it, but I want you to read it. The last few weeks, I've had six or eight people text me or email me about the homework. I, here's the homework. Read Psalm 8 all week, and I'm going to read it to you right now. But just see David. David is in this place, and he's, he's, he's at this place in his life. And David hasn't had a picture-perfect life. We all know that if you've been around for Christian, uh, Christianity for a while. But even if you don't know, just know that this guy was a murderer, and he was a terrible father, and he made a ton of mistakes. But he also had a heart for the Lord. And here's what he says. He has this beautiful revelation about the majesty of God and who he really is in this world. Oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught your children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemy and all who oppose it. When I look into the sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have gave them charge over everything that you have made, putting, them, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and the, all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean current. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. You could see David understanding the sovereignty of God here. Coming to a point where he just woke up today and said, Lord, you are powerful. You are all-knowing. You have uh, uh, done great things in my life. Even though my life is somewhat of a wreck and the things are going on, even as he becomes king, he still has issues. He says, I know that you are majestic. He's calling him a name. Majestic means this. That it's referring to his per perfection of his attributes. The perfection of Christ or God's attributes and the mighty work of his deeds. That's what he's saying here. Majestic, Lord, you are majestic. You are all powerful and you still care for man. Why would you do that? Doesn't matter. I still believe that you're my Lord. So what is the takeaway today? How can we put some application on this? We see the understanding that what is sovereignty? And is God sovereign in your heart? Think about that right now. Is God really sovereign? And if he's not, maybe over the next few minutes, you'll make some space for him. God told me today that there's a handful of Christians that have got 15 or 20 years of Christianity and God is not in their first two or three places. They call him Savior. They salute his sovereignty. But there's people here that aren't putting God first. And he's no longer sovereign. So what should we do? The Apostle Paul writes to a church in Ephesus. And it's a place where he's trying to grow saints. He's trying to grow believers like in this church. He's trying to grow in Ephesus 3, uh, Ephesians 3. He's writing to Ephesus and he's saying, here's some things that you need for spiritual growth. And he starts writing this. And he, you could see him just have read maybe Psalms 8 from David. And he comes to this conclusion after he reads that he Psalms 8. Oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And then you could just see the Apostle Paul, who was a great student of God, saying this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. When I think of all this, what I think I just read in Psalm 8, 
I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I'm like, God, I pray to you, my creator of heaven and earth. I pray to you and who you are and what you are in my life. I pray that from his glorious and ultimate resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Paul is writing to a congregation like this saying, I pray that you will be filled with the Spirit and that you will receive the power of God and put him first and shove away all the other things that, are sec- that need to be second, third, and fifteenth. Some of us have the order off. And maybe it's not your own doing. Maybe it's circumstances. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't write it. Let's continue. And then it says this. When you make that move and the Holy Spirit starts to do something in the group, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. Once you make room for that and you put God sovereign, your roots will start growing down deep in the side of God's love. And you will start to mature and watch God's glory expand in your life. You've got to make a decision, though. You've got to respond to what God is doing and make a decision to see what he can really do. Is he in your heart and is he number one? I'm going to invite the band back up before I move on. When we think about God's sovereignty... I don't know if you guys know this, but to me, this book looks small, doesn't it? But the truth is, when you open it up and you start reading it, it's humongous, it's infinite, it's eternal, and it's all-powerful. But the problem is, is if you haven't picked it up in a long time, it's heavy. But when you open it up, it brings peace and lightness to your heart and brings an openness and a movement from your soul. We've minimized God to this book, but the truth is when you open it up and you allow your roots to grow into it, it becomes life-giving. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell. He's trying to teach us about spiritual growth. And may you have the power to understand, he says, as all God's people should. And then he kind of gives the measurement. Any, any construction guys in here? You know, I'm not really a good construction guy. But then he gives us these measurements. He's like, this is what my dad always says. Hey, can we move something? And he's like, how high is it? How wide is it? How heavy is it? And here you see Paul say the same thing. The power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. You got to understand his dimensions. And the sovereignty of God allows us to get a little bit of a glimpse that we don't know how much God loves us and how powerful he really is because we've, don't take this in the wrong way, we've limited him to this, this book. And if we don't understand what's in here, this looks like a small God. But when you really grab a hold of it and let your roots grow deep, it's enormous. And he can do all powerful, all knowing, all kinds of crazy things when you allow this book to become part of your life. Here's what Paul writes at the end. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great for us to truly understand. It's too great for my mind to really understand God's love and God's sovereignty. It's just too great. I don't have the mindset. I'm not smart enough. I'm not open enough. 
I'm closed down because I've had a hurt in my life. I've had an affliction that wasn't caused by me. And because of that, I'm limiting God's power and his glory. Trust is the output of faith. If you say you have faith in Jesus or have faith in a God, a sovereign God, the output of your life should be a trusting person that believes in God's plan, his divine uh, design. That's what we were singing about. I believe in his design. This is his plan. Job didn't want this. Job doesn't want this at all. But God loved him enough to say, hey, I want you to do this so that I can teach my congregations and my people from years and generations and, 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 and millenniums to come. You must live by faith. And how do you do that? It's by trusting God. By trusting God. Trust is the output of faith. How do you trust God? You got to get to know him. You got to get to know God. You don't need to get to know me. I mean, I'd love to know you if you want to. But you don't need to get to know me. You need to get to know God. And make him sovereign. First in your heart. Putting aside your children. Putting aside your income or your job. Or your position at the church. Or even worse. Getting a, getting a hold of sin and not letting sin be number one. Putting aside things that are holding you back. Drugs and alcohol. Pornography, putting those back and saying, I'm going to put you first and I'm going to allow you to be sovereign. How do you get to know God? You need to know his attributes and his characteristics. It's in here. How do you get to know God? You know that he is a promise keeper. It's in here. All but two haven't been done. My life has been changed because I've got into his word and I read it. And truthfully, I didn't understand it. I didn't want to read it. The, 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 the thing is, God put me in jail for nine or ten months, so I had to read it. I didn't really like that idea. But that's what he wanted. And because I understood it and I, I, I understand his attributes and if you're willing to open up and grab a hold of God and commit to a higher level of understanding who he is, it will build confidence and all of a sudden your confidence will start to roar out like a lion and you'll have no problem believing in a God all-powerful, all-knowing and a sovereign God that can do anything. Amen. We can rejoice in God's sovereignty, but God's sovereignty can be hard to swallow sometimes. Job is sitting here going, how can I, 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 I take a hold of what you're doing, Lord? This is hard. I don't want to go through this pain and suffering. But listen, overshadowed by God's sovereignty is his goodness, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his faithfulness, and his holiness. And if you're willing to open it up, you'll see that a sovereign God has all these attributes as well. It's in here. Trust me. Actually, don't trust me. Go on your own and do it. Today, I want you to make a response. There's a song. There's a group in, 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 uh, that sings uh, a bunch of music that Christian churches sing. It's called Bethel. They're a church up there. And they wrote an album, and it's called Have It All. The theme song today is this. 
that it's having it all. The next few minutes, we're going to sing this song. And I want you to look at the lyrics. And I want you to think, we've sang it a couple times at church already. But I want you to make a response to God because someone in this room is going to be changed today. Not because of salvation, but they're going to put aside some sin or something that's uh, built up above God. I'm working in a discipleship with someone at church right now, and he made a decision last Sunday to put God first and get away from things that were holding him back, relationships that were holding him back. There's someone in this room, or hopefully there's 10 or 20 or 100 people in this room that are going to make a decision that God is welling something up, and I'm going to put him first, and I'm going to make this a marker in my life that today I'm going to trust in a sovereign God from this day forward. And I think you could say something like this. At some point during the song, at some point during this song, I want you to make a response. And you could say something like this. Father in heaven, Job says El Shaddai. He says El Shaddai, the almighty. He's saying, God, you are almighty. 37 times Job says almighty God because that's the sovereignty of God that he believes. And here's what you should say. At some point during this next song, God, you're in control. You are sovereign. You are good. You are all-knowing. And you have wisdom beyond my human mind. And we'll talk about wisdom next week. But you got to make that stand. And I hope that during the song, maybe a few of you will come up here. Maybe a few will go in the back. But make a decision and stand up and do something for God. I'm not asking for any money. I'm not asking for anything but for you to stand up and go what God is telling you to do. Come up here. There's places to kneel. Go to the back and stand up and raise your hand for the first time and put him first. And say, Lord, you can have it all. You can have everything that I'm made of because I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to be under your plan and under your control. Tell death do his part. Jeremy gave this gave this to me this week as we were talking about the message. Is he just your savior or is he sovereign? Let's pray. Lord, the first thing that we need to do to get under your control is take someone that doesn't know you and commit their life to you. If there is someone in this room that doesn't know Jesus personally, today is the day for you to take your heart and give it to God and start to be under his control. If that's you, say a simple prayer of salvation, a confession of faith in your heart, with your mouth to the Lord. Repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, Lord, and be my Lord and Savior forever. I know that you died upon that cross for me and that you rose again so that I may have everlasting life. I believe in you, Lord. Holy Spirit, teach me how to live to a sovereign God from this day forward.